You are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. This morning we want to be looking at a passage from 1 Peter 2 where Peter tells us that which is of precious value to believers. Now as Y'all know I really like uh, hymns. I'm a big fan of acapella music, and well, I studied it for a while in college, studied music. And I find it interesting, the two songs that Ben led for us. Before the Lord's Supper, he led us a song that predates the Protestant Reformation. An old set of words, uh, sacred head. Uh, we got it in English through the Germans. There wasn't a whole lot of church music of the Middle Ages that the Protestant reformers said, man, we got to have some of that in our church. But there were a few really good things that made it over. And that hymn, uh, the Passion Chorale, as uh, was written and then reworked later by uh, uh, Bach, the, the famous Bach, the big Bach. Uh, it's a beautiful piece of music. And it's a beautiful uh, poem of lyrics. Uh, and so... We, sing, uh, we sang a song as Johann Sebastian Bach arranged it, a, a hymn from the Middle Ages about the uh, sacrifice of Christ for us. And then after the uh, Lord's Supper, Ben led us in a Stamps-Baxter song. Uh, 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 songs not written uh, for hymnals originally, uh, but Stamps-Baxter, uh, they were a music company. They they made their money selling sheet music, and uh, when radio became a big thing, uh, they uh, had quartets performing those songs, and they were a lot of them made for radio entertainment. So for depression, one, one hymn we sang, Johann Sebastian Bach wrote the music of a Latin chorale. The next song we sing uh, after Lord's Supper, it's Great Depression uh, radio music for entertainment on religious stations. And how would we sing two wildly different kinds of music? But what were both songs about? The sacrifice of Christ. And so the style of the music, uh, maybe that tickles an itch in my music nerd ear, and maybe a few of you have an ear like that or an itch like that, that it's, it's, it gets tickled in that, that way. And maybe some of you are like, I don't know about this music at all, but, you know, we do need to talk about Jesus. And you may have a totally different thing that does, does it for you musically. But the, the commonality and the reason why they're both in our worship today is because of the message of which they bear of Jesus Christ. And we should sing that repeatedly using the phrase, as Peter does, these are of precious value to believers. You know, what is it that we value? What is it that's important to us and dear to us? Is it just something that's of an individual nature that suits our fancy? Or is it uh, familial? Sometimes there's a whole family of people, they like the whole thing. Of course, then there's the one person in the family who goes, no, I don't like that. Partly because everybody else does. But, but is, it, is it a familial thing? Is it a rebellion thing? Is it just a, a, a cultural thing? Is this all shaped just by location and generation? 
You know, one of the things I do like about things like that, Oh Sacred Head hymn, I like the fact uh, it's, uh, that, uh, you know, those words have been sung now. We're going into the 8th or ninth century of those words being used. I don't know that the Stamps Baxter song will make it six or 800 years. It might. That's one of their better ones. It might. But, uh, and maybe it'll be reworked by some famous composer of the 23rd century, like uh, uh, the Sacred Head was reworked by Bach. But uh, it does it mean something to me, uh, and it's of some value to me, uh, some extra edification to me, that these things are not just of this time and of this place. There's a timelessness to them because they tie into the most timeless and precious thing that there ever was. And again, we want to be concerned about, as Peter said, those things which are of precious value to believers. There's a lot of things the world values. They place a great deal of cultural or economic or other type of value on a thing. And we can see what the world pushes and what the world merchandises. But what is it for believers? And we find in the passage to which we keep referring and to which we will now read, we will find out about things that should be of precious value for believers in a way different than the world, in a way that's precious for Christians, but not for others. So a lengthy reading, uh, eight or nine verses here, but let's read it all. First Peter 2, 1 Peter 2, beginning in verse 4. And coming to him as to a living stone, rejected by men, there's our different value, but choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him shall not be disappointed, according to Psalms. This precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve. The stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone. So you can reject it or not. God made it the corner. God has based the foundation on it. God has built on this, whether you believe or not. It has been set. And so you can build on it and be built on it. Or you can try to move it or try to avoid it. Or try to kick it out of the way. And verse 8, it is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to them who disbelieve. For they stumble because they're disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, But now you are 
the people of God. And you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul. And so here we have this passage of a different life, of a holy life, of a life dedicated to God, a life based on our belief in the one that God has elected and whom God has set and whom God has appointed. And so based on that, we have a holy life dedicated to God. In relationship, not alone, but in relationship with other people who are so likewise dedicated. Not just individual, but a people. A people of God. Not alone, but a priesthood with others to offer up spiritual sacrifices. A group who were aliens and strangers who were alone, but now have been called together. And though alien from the world, not alien from God. And not alienated from each other anymore. But clinging to Christ, the one who was rejected, but elect of God. The one who is of precious value to believers. Because we appreciate what God has done. And so, as we sang the song, my precious Savior came and died and suffered those things. My precious Savior, or the sacred head. We regard him so as God did, so precious and sacred to us. And again, though those styles of music and the hymns may have been vastly different, the message at the core of them both was the same. And so based on that, we now with these different values, we now live in a different way. Aliens and strangers to fleshly lust. That used to be our home. But our approach to Christ has alienated us from what we once were. And to the fact that we even might hate what we once were. Having been redeemed and cleansed and lifted and elevated in Christ. And so, this one now who's precious. Who himself lived different with different goals and aims than the rest of mankind. Has brought us now to follow him in this. Hebrews 13 Verse 13, hence, let us go outside the camp, bearing his reproach. But don't go outside the camp. There's nobody popular out there. There's none of the in crowd out there. There's none of the people we know out there. No, but there's Christ out there. Hence, let us go with him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. They'll laugh at you, you follow Christ. They'll make fun of you. They'll make sport of you. They'll mock you. You follow Christ. Stay here where it's comfortable. Stay here where you're known. Stay here where we have a place for you. No, but I have a better place over there. For here we do not have a lasting city. I think about that passage in Pilgrim's uh, Progress where uh, all the people of the fair uh, try to get Christian to stay there and to not uh, go on on his unique path. And as long as he would stay with them and be in their amusements, Uh, They would welcome him. But when he said, no, I must press on, they persecuted him. And they mocked him. And they made fun of all the things that were so different about him. 
But he didn't care because he had a better place. But we're seeking a city which is to come. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips, giving thanks to his name. So we go with him. And we go with him outside the camp. And as this passage says, let's go singing. Let's go singing. Let's go rejoicing. Because he's given us so much to sing about. So the worldly things, the things that are precious and important to the world, these cannot be the things which we love. Many of them we must outright reject because they are sinful and wrong. Others of them, we simply leave them aside as unimportant, as vanities of which we have no time to waste or indulge. Or other things, we leave them aside just as indifferences about what would we care about that. We have something more to fill our minds and to fill our hearts. First John 2, 15, don't love the world, nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father isn't in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life, it's not from the Father, but it's from the world. These things are not from the Father, and so we don't care about them. In fact, we might and we must reject them as those things which would destroy us, as those things which are contrary to the Father, as those things which, as the next verse says, are passing. The world is passing away. And also its lust. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. And so the world turns a harsh and critical eye finding things that they think are wrong with all the things which we count as dear. And you know what we do? We kind of return the favor. We show them the things among them that are vain and destructive. We show them the things that are sinful and lustful. And they don't appreciate us for doing that. And we don't appreciate them for the way they tear after the things that are of ours. But it's like we have two different mindsets. Though we may sit at the same table. Though we may sit in the same car. Though we may share a cubicle. Though we may be in adjoining desk in various things. But we have a different direction. We have a different idea of what is right and wrong and what is the ideal for us because we have Christ to order our thinking. Colossians 3, if then you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. And so where Christ is, is the place that I think about and the place that I dream about and the place that I want to go. Uh, we think about those who are involved in romantic relationships, particularly maybe in this case, a long-distance romantic relationship. If the object of your affection is in a different place and there's some distance between you, how much do you think of that place? Why? Because they're there. If they come back to you, what do you think of that place? You don't think much of that place because it wasn't the place itself that was, itself that was important but the fact that they were there. Well, what if the object of your affection went to a place 
and said, I'm staying there. Well, then our mind would be there. How can we get there? We think about all those who have dreams of this world and the dreams of this world are going to take them off to the big city. And as soon as they get the idea in their head that they want to go off to the big city, what's the small town mean to them? It's nothing but limitation and frustration. And oh, if they could just get to the big place, the place where the dreams are made. Or again, to go back to the romantic, to get to the place where the loved one is. But what if the loved one said, I'm going off to the other place and I'm never coming back here except that one time I'll come to come get you and that'll be all. How much then would we think of them and that place and the promised restoration and the time when they would come to get us? And so it is in our thought of heaven. It's not just heaven itself, but heaven because Christ is there. That's the reason why it's the object of our affection. Because Christ, the truest object of our affection, our hope and our reconciliation, our Redeemer and Savior, He is there. We seek the things above, where Christ is, again, Colossians 3.1, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So set your mind, or the King James, set your affection on the things above and not on things of earth. Well, just like the one who's got it in their mind, they're going off to the big place to pursue the big dream. So it is for the Christian who has set their mind on Christ and their dream is to be reunited in Christ in the place above, what is now the small thing? What is now the earthly thing? But a place of frustration, limitation, and a cause for longing. And so it is, it is precious to us, and we set our mind where he, the object of our heart, is. And what about these things that are here in between us and him? They're nothing but obstacles anymore. Galatians 2.24, those of us who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, so let us also walk by the Spirit. And so, these worldly things cannot be our love. They have to be the things that are between us and our love. Things to be used in the right way, things to be overcome when they are presented as wrong, things to be uh, overcome when they are presented as obstacles. What we have, if we turn back and examine now a bit more in Peter, what we find is Peter spells out for us in these verses, in 1 Peter, he spells out for us things that are precious for believers. As I've already pointed out, the great object of our affection is Christ. Again, 1 Peter 2, 4, as we read, coming to him as a living stone. He's rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God. Again, verse 7, this precious value is for those who believe, not for those who disbelieve. And so the first and most precious thing, as we've already pointed out, is that Christ is the precious one for us. We sing the hymn, Jesus is all the world to me. And to make sure we get it, the author of the hymn points out, he's my life, my joy, my all. He's all the world to me. And so this is the most precious thing. And he's precious enough to suffer for. 
that nothing here between us and him is worthy to get in the way of that affection, no matter how difficult it might be. It's worth it in following Christ. Again, a long reading. We'll hold the comments to a minimum. But a long reading from 2 Corinthians 4. Paul says, we don't preach Christ. Or should we? Again, we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus. And ourselves as your bondservants for his sake. So if there's anything about us in the message, it's about how we're serving him. This is an example for you. The only part of us in here is us as his bondservants. For God said, let light shine out of darkness, is the one who is shown in our hearts to give us the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. So the same light of the world, we are now lit in Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not ourselves. And here's what they would overcome for the sake of Christ. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus. That the life of Jesus may be manifest in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake. Well, why would you bother with that, Paul? Because it's worth it. That the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our mortal flesh. Therefore, we don't lose heart. Though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For the momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. For while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things not seen are eternal. He said the light of the world is the light of God in the face of Christ. This lights us more than the sun does. And so we'll bear everything for it. It's precious enough to suffer for. It's worth it in every respect because of its precious and magnificent nature. If it's precious, what would you but give for it? In the parables, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. A man found and hid. And from joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Or the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And of finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and he bought it. It's worth everything. It's worth all that you have. It's worth more than you have. Try to grab a hold of Christ. Christ for us, Peter says, is of precious value to believers. Peter particularly then pointed out the blood of Christ. The blood that redeems us. Here again from 1 Peter. 1 Peter 1.18 Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from the feudal life, the feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless. The blood of Christ. We talk about this holy life. We talk about this life dedicated to God. We talk about this sanctified way, the chosen race, the royal priesthood and all that. 
And one of the first things we would obviously recognize is that does not sound like a thing I'm qualified for. You know, oftentimes there's job postings and they, and you go, oh, that, that'd be a good job. And I, I like a lot of the things that go with that. And then you look at the uh, requirements. You go, oh, I don't mean any of that. Or you might see uh, my daughter, Abby, she's been working through her course selections, hopefully for her final semester down at university in Texas. And she wants to take this class, maybe or that class, but it says there's prerequisites. And you, you ever looked at prerequisites to class and go, oh, I don't have any of those. Or I want to take that, so I better get these other things so I can eventually take it. But how many things are there that we would like and we think, well, that'd be good, but I'm not qualified. Holy life, the royal priesthood, the people of God who receive mercy, wouldn't most of us think, I'm probably not qualified for that. Well, good news, you've been pre-qualified. You've been qualified by the redemption through the blood of Christ. Ephesians 1.7, in him you've been redeemed through his blood. The forgiveness of trespass according to the riches of grace. And so if there's anything that we've ever felt in spiritual things unqualified for, what's the solution? What is the qualification? The qualification is the redemption. The qualification is the forgiveness. The qualification is the riches of his grace. And where was that found? In the unblemished, in the spotless, precious blood of Christ. Again, Ephesians 1.7, we have redemption through his blood. So this is our one and only hope of redemption. And this would then be the most precious thing of all. Again, when we think about precious and valuable, in this world, precious and valuable is often because of the rarity and the quality and the replicability of a thing. If a thing can be easily replicated, there's not that much value in it because they can make a bunch of them, right? But if you have a thing that's hard to replicate uh, because of the extreme talent of the workman that's needed to make it or the rarity of the materials uh, with which it's made, as though some things cost a lot more because the material costs. And so since in some things are precious uh, because of the association of a thing, or maybe the age of a thing. So in my house, we have some china. And we have a china cabinet. And my wife gets mad when I put up papers and things in the china cabinet. But they won't get lost because it's with the china. And you don't open the china cabinet door because the stuff in there is precious. But how does my china and its value compare to my grandma's? Well, most of the people in the family, they'd rather have grandma's than mine, right? Because the additional rarity, uh, the, the greater difficulty of replacing, yeah, you know, they still make my pattern. I can go to Nortaki and I can buy the things that match mine, which is good because we broke a few. But we, grandma's we can't replace. But grandma's china is valuable and as rare as it is. Grandma's china is a whole lot less valuable than George Washington's china. You know, if you go to... Mount Vernon and look there and you look in their china cabinets there if you pay your fee to go in the museum portion how precious is that right well the more rare and the the harder to replicate 
and uh, the closeness of association uh, of various things, these all make a thing more valuable and more precious. And when we think about the thing with Christians and what is our stock and trade, what is that which we preach and offer? Is it but not the precious blood of Christ? And what is of higher value? And what is of more use? And what is more rare? And so we have the effective blood of Jesus Christ as the precious blood, Peter says. He called it the precious blood of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ, our redemption. Based on that, we have then our faith. Peter talked about in this passage, in First and Second Peter, in the greater context, he talked about our faith. He talked about by the fact we have faith, we are made precious to God. Second Peter 1, verse 1, Simon Peter, bondservant of Christ Jesus, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, the King James will say a like precious faith. The NIV will say a faith as precious as ours, which I think I might like that the best. And righteousness by our God and Savior Jesus Christ. A faith as precious as ours. There's a precious faith. Also from 1 Peter, the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In verse 9, he said that we may obtain as the outcome of our faith the salvation of our soul. Faith which is more precious than gold. Peter one time said to a fellow, silver and gold have I none. What I have I'll give you. Then he gave him healing through the power of Jesus. Silver and gold are not directly connected to the faith. Sometimes they're antithetical to the faith. For some people, they're the destruction of the faith. Uh, For other times, they're a nice complement to each other when used faithfully. But they don't have to be. What we find is it's something more precious than gold. They're differently accounted because they are not on the same plane. And so we have these things which are uh, worthy for us of great joy. Uh, We think about uh, the passage that says, we rejoice greatly with joy inexpressible, full of glory. We think about the like precious faith. And so we have a faith that is most precious to us. As John said, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. And who is the one who overcomes the world? But the one who believes in that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the faith that overcomes the world. The faith that is in Jesus, who is the Son of God. So Christ for us is precious. His blood is precious. Our faith in him is precious. And so then Peter says, we have on the basis of that, precious and magnificent promises. Second Peter 1, 2, grace and peace be multiplied to you, in the knowledge of God and our Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power, his divine power, 
has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he granted to us his precious and magnificent promises in order that by them you might be partakers of the divine nature. By the things that are promised, you can partake of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that's in the world by lust. Well, we've already talked about being redeemed by his blood. And so we have, Peter says, precious and magnificent promises. At this point, we could have a long lesson series. Let's just quickly think of a few. The promise of salvation, Mark 16, 16. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. The promise of forgiveness. Peter himself delivered the message. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise of provision from the Apostle Paul who said, God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God and those who have been called according to his purpose. Or Jesus' promise on the Sermon on the Mount. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. And all these things These precious and magnificent promises, we can hold them as true and count on them as trustworthy because Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering because he who promised is faithful. I mentioned a while ago the value maybe of some objects of this world, for instance, using the example of China. And if I had, if I really had, the china from George Washington's table, that would be quite the thing, wouldn't it? Now, what if I just had a cup as a souvenir? Now, if I told everybody, I've got this lovely china cup, and it's, it's, come see it and look at it and gawk at it and all that, because it's George Washington's. Well, what if somebody cast reasonable doubt on the fact that that was really George Washington's? I wouldn't have so much, would I? Or what if somebody could show that it wasn't Washington's at all. That'd be a terrible thing. And so it is with these things. People try to cast dispersions upon them and tell you not to trust in them because they're not that valuable. I mean, what do you have? You have the promises of an old book, they say. Or what has God done for you? Well, actually, for most of us, if we went with the God, what has God done for us test, how would we answer? Wouldn't we say God has brought me safe safe thus far and God has given me many good things? Hopefully that would be our answer. Hopefully that wouldn't be a good measure of attack for them. But we have these things and we hold these things because he who promised these things is faithful. So let's just put for review. We have, Peter said, these things precious to believers. And what are they? And in what can we trust? And what has God promised to be? He's promised Christ for us. The blood of Christ to redeem us. He's given us the things of our faith so we may soundly believe. He's given, based on these, precious and magnificent promises. For unbelievers, what are these? Nothing. Or a place of stumbling. A place for them to destroy themselves. And for some reason, them not being satisfied in their own faith, they decide they need to attack ours. Well, I guess let them. 
But I know what's real. And I know what's valuable. And I know what is secured by the promise and power of God. And so let us hold these, as Peter said too, as precious value to believers. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at mulvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.